1: Let's get to the next question is from um, Nick P said uh, uh, thoughts on Stanford potentially heading to the ACC geographically. This realignment stuff is nuts and I feel bad for the other student athletes who play multiple games per week. The reason the Stanford stuff is so unbelievable to me, Ryan, is I just, I, I look at it like this with USC and UCLA, there was at least another school that went with them. You, you know, you now have Washington, Oregon. So there is a a West coast presence where you can at least right now in the big Ten you can at least play a couple, you know, three road games for sure against a a fellow West coast team. Although if you look at a map, Washington and and Oregon are not that close to LA other than, I mean, the West coast is pretty big, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's, it's a hike, but with Stanford being the only team, that means all those great sports we've talked about all have to cross over three time zones. To play teams where, at least, like, if you're USC, like, oh, cool, this is the year we get Nebraska and Iowa on the schedule, so we only have to go halfway across the country. Sure, like, what's the closest ACC school to them? It's Notre Dame, because again, we're talking about the non football sports. It's Notre Dame, Notre Dame is literally the closest school to the West Coast when you're looking at the ACC. After that, it's what Pitt that's right in the Eastern
2: time zone, and yeah, so
1: In, in Notre Dame, yeah, exactly. So it's like Every school you play is east of a Chicago. That's that's a that's a tough sell. So to me, if the ACC is going to make that kind of move, they'd almost have to be as bold as to say we're going to take all four of the remaining Pac-12 teams. So that way we have a West Coast presence or something. I I just see how just bringing one of them does anything. I don't know how that makes any sense. Again, unless I said is it's a ploy to try to get Notre Dame in for football. Maybe it's a bluff. Hey Notre Dame, you know, and I. Because there's no other there's no other thing that makes sense, right? Like just bringing Stanford alone. I don't know. Here's something I'd have to know. What is the contract that you have with the network? So my understanding of the Big Ten, and I could be wrong. So if some of you know the answer to this, and I'm wrong on this, please correct me in the chat and I'll correct it. I don't think that what happens here, Ryan, is is the contract with Fox just gets expanded for however much they're paying everybody else. They get the same amount. It it doesn't. It's it's less of a pool being spread out. My understanding with the Big Twelve, however, is that if they add markets, they 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 will ex, ex, expand it. Is is my understanding? I could be wrong on that, but I believe that. So not every TV contract is the same. I don't know what the ACC's TV deal is to where if they expand. Does that mean ESPN gives them more money to pay to that team so that they'd add Stanford, and then ESPN would give them that extra amount of whatever the the amount is that goes to Stanford? I don't, I don't know the contract. I don't know what that would mean. Um, would that I, I that would be a big part of it? But I there's no way the ACC is just going to add Stanford. They already have the smallest TV deal amongst the surviving conferences. They're making less than the than the Big 12, I believe. They're definitely making less than the SEC and, and the Big 10. They're going to add another school and, and spread that money out even more. That's something Florida State's going to be okay with? I just don't see how that makes sense. I think the only way it would make sense is if somehow this was a ploy to get Notre Dame in, and if you can somehow swing for the fences to get Notre Dame in, you now have a legitimate – ability to, to to renegotiate your contract because ESPN saw how good Notre Dame was to the ACC in 2020 we all saw it it's not theory it's not what we think it's we saw it the tv revenue when Notre Dame was in your conference it was the best you've ever had so um i just don't see how it makes a lot of sense man i really i really it can't just be stanford there's got to be more to it
2: than that I, Otherwise, I, think there, just, I, I, I think there would be more to it as far as, like, numbers of teams. I think it's just one of the teams you're starting to hear about. Like, I, I really – like my I, I again, I could be completely wrong, but I think ACC is just trying to get numbers right now. They're like, strengthen numbers because we're right. going to lose this battle if we don't get numbers behind our side. Like, that's kind of how I think. If you're going to do that, you got to add somebody other than Stanford. That's the whole point. I mean, maybe, like, maybe that's the only play people that they could pull. Like, I mean, there's some people to the Big Ten, to the to SEC, me, I think to that's the a, Big 12 even. Yeah, like, I don't know. I get it.
1: The problem with that though is sometimes it would be a poor decision to do that. If you're correct, and I, you could be, I don't know. If you're correct, to me, that almost is like a worse move. Like,
2: guys, desperation.
1: Yeah. Yes, exactly, Ryan. You're trying to go get the worst, probably Power Five fan base in all of football in Stanford. Like, that doesn't move the needle. It's a bad, t- it's a bad football TV market. And it's a very apathetic fan base. How does that make your your conference stronger? It doesn't. I mean, look, last year in Stanford's last three home games, their attendance was 25,000, 26,500, and 25,000. That's it. That's it. And, and so, I mean, you know, you look at Oregon, Oregon is a Big time football school right, and their stadium seats less than 60,000. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you're talking about in the big 10, they've got three teams now where you've got over a hundred thousand seat stadiums, name me a team in the pac 12 that could sell out a hundred thousand seat stadium. And it's not that Oregon doesn't have a rabid fan base. They do. It's a, it's, base, yeah. it's a very small school. It's a state, I mean. It's a very small state. They're just – it's part of the problem that Notre Dame has, right? It's like Indiana's a small state, and it's not a giant football state. So, you know, is Notre Dame have a small fan base? I mean, or a bad fan base that they couldn't sell out a 100,000-seat stadium like Ohio State? No, it's not that at all. It's a much smaller state than Ohio, and a lot of Notre Dame's fan bases kind of spread all out. And Notre Dame couldn't sell out 100,000 seats. They could against Ohio State. They could right. against Clemson, but they're not going to do that against. I mean, they barely, I mean, well, they didn't actually sell out against Northwestern the last time. And some of the teams they've played in recent years, the school buys the tickets and stuff. So there's just a lot of stuff that goes into it, Ryan, that it's just a that stuff plays into it, man. It's, it's just, it's the rabid nature of the fan base and, and how, how that impacts your, your TV market. You know, I mean, last year, Stanford play or, um, Oregon played one game last year, Ryan. One game, where there was more than sixty thousand people in stands. It was the opener against Georgia. Yeah, that was played in Atlanta, or seventy six thousand fans. That's it. That's it. I mean, you're talking about a team that's pretty good football team last year.
2: They were, you know, yeah. and
1: and that was it. That's that's all they played. That's the that they didn't play any more than that. You look at USC, how good USC was last year, Ryan. I mean, they were pretty good football team last year, right? Look at USC's home attendance. They had 72,000 against Notre Dame. Well, you and I both know that's a big Notre Dame audience. The rest of their home games were 60,000, 67,000, 62, 63, 64, 61, 72. That means there was about 8,000 or more empty seats for every other home game than what they had for Notre Dame. And... It's still 72,000. Could you imagine how the panic that would be going on in Columbus, Ohio, if there was only 70,000 people showed up for an Ohio State game? Right? I mean, that'd be like considered a a travesty. Yeah. Ohio State had 100,000 people in their stands last year, Ryan, for the Arkansas State game. USC can't get more than 72,000 for the Notre Dame game. It's just a different animal out there, man. It, it just is. Washington has good crowds. They had sixty-eight thousand for the Michigan State game last year. Sixty-eight for the Colorado game. Do you know how many people attended the, the, the uh the Apple Cup? Thirty-three thousand. Really? That's it. That's weird. Well, Washington State has a much smaller stadium. Yeah. So it's not it's not necessarily that that um nobody cared. It's just a smaller stadium. Ticket prices yeah. must been insane for that game. Oh, I, I bet. Yeah, the stadium capacity for that stadium is thirty three thousand. They're closer to max schools, Brian Ryan, than they are to Power Five schools. And yeah. you want, you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that people have to understand is it's just not the same kind of rabid fan base that you've seen the South. Like I've tried to make this point. Like outside of, outside of Georgia, is there an SEC school that you that you believe is in a big TV market? What's the probably the next best one? Probably like what? Vanderbilt? Vanderbilt? Like as far as like the what we consider the big TV market. No, but my point is the SEC, the South is the TV market. It's the South, right? right? It's like it doesn't matter how small it is, it's everybody in old Mississippi is t- tuning into the old Miss Mississippi State game, right? I mean, that's that's the difference. It's just a and somebody made a point earlier, which is fair. There's a whole lot more to do in California than there is in Mississippi on a Saturday afternoon. I mean, that's a fair point to make. That's a very fair point to make, but that leads to the apathy of it, you know? And, and that's just, it's, it's just a different animal man. And so I don't know what value Stanford adds. I will say this, if it wasn't about money and Stanford was located in like Missouri, Stanford is a perfect ACC school. When you look at the type of school it is, they are great in other sports, it's a high academic Standards. institution. The ACC yeah. has some, you know, has some value to that. So that fit I could understand. But just geographically and football wise, there's just absolutely no value in adding the well, ge- same.
2: Geographically nothing makes sense anymore. No. So. No. <laughs>
1: no. It absolutely does not.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed.
2: We had a question from Brandon Pludzner says, how would you feel if Notre Dame just took just three wide receivers in 2025 with one of them being Jerome Bettis Jr. Other two are Derek Meadows and Taylon Taylor, and they chose to take Bettis over a Cooper Perry, Daylon McCutcheon, et cetera, be a serious misstep, in my opinion.
1: I think that's a bit too strong of a reaction. Would I take those other guys over Jerome Bettis right now? Absolutely. Yeah. But I I, I think that, again, I think the staff is betting on the upside. They did this once with Bryce Young, and it's not that they're taking the kid, the son of a, an alum. They didn't take Rocket Ismail's kid, right? There's, a, they didn't take Tony Rice's kid. They, they, they've passed on alums' kids, and it's they see something in Jerome Bettis Jr. from an upside standpoint. I want to wait to see his junior film right now. Yeah, I, I think that that class won't be as good as if they would have taken Cooper Perry McCutcheon. I, I, I will flat out say that. But to say it's a serious misstep, where I the. The reason I disagree, Brandon, is because of the context of how they're putting this class together, right? If Notre Dame didn't get Jaden Greathouse in 2023, let's just say that. Let's say they got some project kid that needs work and not a great player. And let's say they didn't get Cam Williams and they had some other okay type of prospect. And I'd say, dude, you can't afford to take Derek Meadows and Jerome Bettis Jr. You can't afford. You need a more high floor guy. But. They did get those guys. So if you're going to take a chance on the DNA and thinking that this kid's going to end up taking off down the road, this is the year to do it, Ryan, in my opinion, because it's not an elite receiver class. You're turning down some good football players. So you want to take that chance. I get it. It's not what I would do, but I get it. If that's a fair thing to say, I, I just can't go as far as to say it'd be a serious misstep because there's, you're still getting two really talented football players in that class.
2: I agree there. I, I I think for me, I would try to, if I was Chancey Stuckey or if I was an offensive coordinator, potentially, I think I would try to talk the head man into be like, Hey, can we push it to four here? Because Cooper Perry is a pretty good player, right? right? Dale McCutcheon's a pretty good player. Is there some way we can make the number work so we get to four? I think that would be kind of where I would try to. hundred percent.
1: But yeah. And, and, and I agree with you hundred yeah. percent, Ryan. If you're going to get the four, okay. that would be my push. Hey, cool. I'll take yeah, him now, but you got to let me get to four. Right, 100% agree with that. Absolutely agree with that.
2: We had a question from Nathan Milton. What's up, Nathan? How's Notre Dame boats? Boats on the 2025?
1: Not, yeah, I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. That, I'm sorry, Nathan. Yeah, you,
2: you quickly put in the chat what boats yeah. is. Uh, How is Notre Dame boats on the 2025 defensive line, and is the 2025 class more loaded with defensive line talent versus the 2024 class?
1: I would say early on, they're similar. Yeah. I'd say 25 seems to be have some good depth. I haven't really seen Now, again, I haven't watched a lot. Of, there's still a lot of film I got to watch. I haven't noticed the 25 class being like loaded overall. I will say this. There's a lot more interior prospects in the 25 class than there was in the 24 class that I've seen so far, Ryan. What are your thoughts on this?
2: I actually don't really love the twenty twenty five interior class that much. I didn't love the twenty twenty four class as well either. So I said like, there's more.
1: Kinda... I didn't say it was better. I said there's more. Yeah. I've seen a lot more oh, kids, yeah. it,
2: including like well, ends watch. that are going to grow a what big. In... What's that? He said, "Look," is what he meant to say on the twenty twenty five. I'm not saying the they're better. There's more, yeah.
1: and there's more ends that I think project to be inside guys in twenty five. Just looking like I think Nathaniel Mark. This isn't for Notre Dame because he's not going to become Notre Dame. I think Nathaniel Marshall is going to be a three technique when it's all said and done. I think Christopher Burgess. I think there's a lot of guys like that. What I haven't seen, and this is true at end as well, outside of a couple guys, I haven't seen a lot of high-level guys. Like Gus Ritchie for North Carolina. There's a lot of kids like him in this class. It's good. Good Good football player. Like, quality football player, but just not a guy that you're pushing for right now if you're trying to win a championship, right? I just... I see a lot of guys like that. So it's really two years in a row now that I look at the defensive line class and it just doesn't blow me away from a depth standpoint overall. I do think 25 has more interior guys than the 24 class, but I've yet to see an elite interior guy so far. And there's still skids I need to see.
2: I I do like the big body ends more in the 2025 class. Um, I would say one thing I would say too, is that I think there's more Vipers that I'd like right now in the 2025 class than I did in the 2024 class. I think 2024 was very sparse for Viper types in a lot of ways. But 2025, I look at, like, CJ May and Justin Hill and, like, some legitimate Viper potential there. Uh, the Woods kid from Kansas, Jaden Woods. Like, there's some good Vipers on the board in 2025, which I think is good for Notre Dame, who these hit a, on a couple more of those Vipers over the next couple of years. So, yep. We had Rob M who said mailbag is Gerby Lambert still likely to decide before the season? I know he's tough to read.
1: I I fully expect him to make a decision before the season starts. When that'll be, don't know, but I fully expect him to make a decision. And and our intel hasn't changed. We like where no name is at. There's there's nothing new there. So th- th- I could invent I, I, some update th- to you know get some clicks if I wanted to. And I'm not saying anyone's done that. I'm just saying, like we keep getting asked about this. I promise if we had a yeah. new update, we'd put it out there. Um, I think Notre Dame's in a great th- spot. noise has been.
2: Yeah. I, I don't mean, think there's a delay. Recently. Sorry. Sorry. No. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I don't think that there's a delay on this one because Gerby Lambert just loves the recruiting process so much. I just think that this is how it's trending, and I think it'll be over before the senior season starts. Just kind of how I see it.
1: When I say how it's always been, I mean since yeah. Notre Dame – took back the number one spot is what I mean by it's always been. I'm not trying to say they've always led and they've led the whole time. I'm not saying that. I think they led early. Then when Harry left, it caused some, okay, the the main reason I like their name is gone. It took Joe Rudolph some time to get acclimated and get up with him. And then they eventually took back that number one spot. And since then, that's been the cases. So I want to make sure that I'm clear on that.
2: We had a question from Stevie Wonder who said, wide receiver get off question. Is the goal to not dip and go? A lot of wide receiver dip the knee before they start running. Some don't dip and immediately release run.
1: Depends on the route. So sometimes the dip is a lack of efficient technique. It's I'm running the goal route and I dip and then go. I've now wasted a split second of getting on that guy. Other times, Ryan, that dip is going to be intentional because it's a timing mechanism. So if I'm running a route where I need to let guys clear that dip and that short first step is a timing mechanism. So if I'm running, like if I'm in the slot and I'm running a, um, kind of coming off of a wheel route off of the outside guy, we're doing some post snap switch. I've got to kind of s- like dip and delay my motion. Cause I want to let him clear me and then come behind him right? And I don't want to have to go too wide to do that. I want to be able to kind of meet him downfield that way. So sometimes you may implement sort of a a dip and then step that, that is sort of a clearing, uh, uh, a timing mechanism. So him being closer to the line combined with my, my dip and slight delay, like you'll see guys kind of jog off the line and then go, it's a timing mechanism. You're trying to let things clear, trying to get that defensive back to declare, and then I'm going to go do what I'm going to do. Uh, but a lot of times you see it, it's just, it's just bad technique, honestly. And just because not enough receivers, coaches, uh, emphasize that at the college level. And so it, it just depends. It depends on, um, what the route is and what you're being taught in my opinion.
2: We had another question from Nathan Milton. How many wide receivers in 2025 is Notre Dame taking?
1: You kind of uh, answered that earlier, Ryan, minimum yeah, three, right? Three. Yeah, and then the I, number right now. I, yeah, I'd like them to get to four, especially since they passed on a fourth guy in the twenty-four class. I mean, to me, like, why pass on that guy if you're not going to take another guy? Right. So I, I would, I would yep. go for four, three to four, three
2: to four. Yep. We had a question from Connor Nipper. Says thoughts on why other stores around South Bend have the Ireland Stitch jersey, but not the actual bookstore. This is one of many reasons. We shouldn't have resigned. Makes zero. Resigned. Resigned. Resigned.
1: A couple things. The bookstore is owned by a company that's associated with Notre Dame. It's not Notre Dame making that decision. The bookstore isn't owned by Under Armour. Number one. Number two. I was in the bookstore yesterday and I saw the same replicas of the Ireland stitched jerseys that are at the local stores. And it's not an official jersey. It's not an authentic jersey. They're all replicas because it just got announced. So do I think they should have a big jersey push right away? Yes, that's true. But I don't think that's an Under Armour thing per se. So, uh, but those jerseys are at the bookstore. I was literally there yesterday and I saw those. They're like right in front and I don't like them. I think they're kind of ugly because they're replicas, but that's what they have. They have those jerseys there. I just... I, you know, to me, Ryan, it's just kind of like, it is one of the frustrating things with, with Under Armour, but it's basically someone who's saying this is someone who didn't want them to sign with Under Armour anyway. I mean, and so there's really not a lot that they could, they could do. I I do
2: want one of those jerseys though. I do want one of the,
1: the ones for Ireland.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not the replica though. Trust me.
2: I haven't they're seen not, the that they're not attractive.
1: It's the yeah. one of the. we were at the bookstore yesterday. We got uh, actually got to meet one of our um, so members got me guy named Jim yesterday, which is very cool. And so. Um, but I mean, to me, there's a lot of things like that, but that's as much on Notre Dame and whoever owns the bookstores, as anybody else. Hey, we're going to release these jerseys. Hey, when they when you do, let's have a stack of them ready to sell online or in the store, but. To me, usually when there's releases like that, you want to get them in the store. But like, you know, again, I don't know that that's necessarily an under just an Under Armour thing. There's a lot. We're assuming that if you're assuming that if you don't like them, and if you do like Under Armour, you then you start making excuses for them. But this has been going on for for quite a long time. Yeah, and I, you know, do you know that when a jersey is released from a Nike school that they immediately put it in there? I, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe they do. Maybe this is a normal way that they do things. I have no idea. I just think we're all projecting our own feelings about Under Armour into these things when they happen and just assuming it's because they stink and, you know, whatever the case may be. And if Nike wanted Notre Dame, they could offer Notre Dame more money. Simple as that. So,
2: yeah. We had a question from Andrew Gilmore. says, Notre Dame beat writers keep talking about uh, Rico Flores and Jaden Greathouse are those guys beating out the veteran wide receivers in the room guys.
1: No, I'll just say no, no, it's not. It. We can, I, I we don't can know.
2: Compliment people without taking it right. to that level right? today in the, in
1: my, in my report, I only talked about Kenny Minchie. That doesn't mean, and I said he had the most impressive arm talent of anybody at practice uh, on the quarterback. doesn't mean he's a better quarterback than Sam Hartman. And here's the other thing: how much do you, can how much can I po- what can I possibly say about Jane Thomas right now that any of you are gonna have gonna give two rips about? Right, which you all. But part of it is, guys, they write that way because that's what you all want. Yeah, you all get excited about freshmen. You all get excited about the new guy. You all get excited about the 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 fresh, you know, the new toy. That's. I'm not saying that's a negative thing, but part of that is we all know that. And so when we're doing practice supports, we're going to watch those guys. But it's kind of like, you know who I've not talked about once in my practice report so far? Not one Same time in any of my practice reports? Joe Walt. Oh, Joe Walt. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Gotcha. yeah. Uh, why? What can I... Hey, Joe Walt's still awesome. Okay, moving on to other things. I, I care more about, and I think you all care more about, you know, how's Charles Jagasall coming along? How's Billy Strouth coming along? How's Emil Wagner coming along? The guys that we're not sure about, right? So, I mean, that's part of it too, is just... Um, trying to meet the needs of what people want to hear about. Right. And people like to hear about freshmen. That's the reality of it. So, but those guys are also playing really well. I mean, to me, it's more about, wow, what a deep room than the the veterans aren't playing well. And I don't know that anybody's saying that I'm just saying that, or they're getting beat out or anything like that. I just think it comes down to those freshmen playing really really well and their name's Kind of a very deep receiving core this year. It's as simple as
2: that to me, Ryan.
1: It really is. Mm
2: -hmm. We had a super chat from Justin Knox. Thank you so much, Justin. So which team on our current schedule finishes the highest outside the big three and which of the big three do you think is best and in what order?
1: Which team on our current schedule finishes the highest outside of the big three and which of the big three do you think is best? I mean, look in my preseason top 25, I can assure you I'll have Ohio state ranked higher than USC or Clemson. I will. Do I, you know, and again, because Ohio State's got some question marks, but so does everybody else. I mean, that's the thing. Right. is like you can nitpick a team's question marks, but I also know they have more talent than anybody else the Notre Dame's going to play. I would right now probably go, Ryan, Notre Dame. I would probably go Ohio State, USC, Clemson. But I won't be shocked at all if Clemson ends up being a better team than Notre Dame. They have, a or I me, mean, excuse me, uh, USC. The reason mm. I'm going there now is because Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. Sure. Like those the, that that we those are knowns. Yeah. Clemson to me has question marks like Notre Dame, right? Okay. How good is Kate Klubner going to be? How well are him and Garrett Riley going to mesh? Uh, do the young receiver step up? Can Adam Randall be healthy? How does EJ Williams gonna be? Not EJ Williams, Antonio Williams. EJ Williams is the last Williams they had. How do they, The you know, you've talked about this. Yeah, they lost some really good D linemen, but there's still some really good guys coming back. Is Xavier Thomas healthy? If he's healthy, guys, they're going to be fine at defensive end, right? I mean, you know, this is a kid that had 10 and a half tackles for losses, a true freshman in, in 2018. So there's plenty. They got a really good linebacking core. All their DBs basically come back. So, But there's still enough question marks right now, Ryan, where I'm going to have USC ranked ahead of them on the preseason ranking. I won't be shocked if Clemson ends up being the better team. And right now, honestly, just full disclosure, I have Notre Dame going 11 and one. I don't necessarily have a prediction yet on who they're going to lose to. But right now, the most obvious one to me is Clemson. And then this is the pushback I get from Notre Dame fans. Well, they beat them 34 to 14 last year. Did you know? Yeah, I watched that game. I also watched Notre Dame beat Stanford 45 to 14 in 2021 at Stanford. Look what happened. I watched Georgia get their brains beat in by Auburn 40 to 17, only to beat them twenty-eight to seven, three weeks later right? Like one game doesn't mean this was going to happen. Did you watch Alabama just boat race Georgia in the SEC championship game two years ago, and then watch Georgia beat them in the championship game like a month later for the national championship, right? Like we saw LSU beat Alabama in 2011 in the regular season at Bama, and then we watched Alabama destroy LSU in the national championship game, right? Like this game doesn't equal that. It's a completely different team, different quarterback, new offensive system. It's on the road, and what Notre Dame has proven to me is that they can beat Clemson on their home field. No doubt. But what happened the last two times they've played, three times they've played away from Notre Dame Stadium? Notre Dame's own 3 and only one of those games was close. So that's one of those things Notre Dame still has to prove, uh, is that they can win those games away from home. Now, do I think they can beat Clemson? Of course they can beat Clemson. Absolutely. But to just assume that's going to be a win, I don't think that's a fair thing to say. First part of the question, Ryan, which team on the current schedule do you think finishes highest outside of the big three? I kind of lean towards,
2: do you say Duke? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at too, Ryan. Duke yeah, or NC State what,
2: would be my two. Duke has a really good quarterback coming back, who's a dual threat kid. They have a lot of offensive linemen coming back. Graham Barton at left tackle, Jacob Monk at guard. They have their basically their entire wide receiver room come back, and they are coached by Mike Elko, who is a very good defensive mind. So he did I,
1: a, yeah. and he did a great job with that team last year, yeah. a great job with that team last year. They here here's my only um, this would be my only concern about that one would be Ryan is when you look at their schedule, their <laughs> schedule's a, a a little I'd say arguably a little bit tougher than NC State's. That's because it's the it's between those two for me. It's between Duke and NC State for me. And when I look at Duke, now Duke gets NC State at home, but they got to play Clemson and Notre Dame at home too. And I almost kind of, if I'm Duke, I'd almost kind of want to say I would have rather played like Louisville at home and North Carolina at home and had to play Notre Dame and Clemson on the road because you're probably losing those games anyway. You know what I mean? So it's like if you know you can't beat that team, get them on the road so you can get a team that may be a little bit more winnable. Uh, NC state schedule is not easy either. They get Notre Dame at home, but they get Louisville at home. They get Clemson at home, Miami at home, North Carolina at home. Um, so that could be a difference of schedule, but as on paper, no context from schedule aside, I really like this Duke team, Ryan, because it's not even just the quarterback and Elko, and you hit all those points, but they've got two really good veteran defensive linemen, Jamion Franklin being one who's a really good, solid, or I'll say, really good, really solid nose guard, but Dwayne Carter's a really good football player. They've yes. got really good athletes at wide receiver. The kid that was, the kid that Riley Leonard beat out at quarterback last year, moved to receiver. He's Game now more. going into year two playing that position. I think yeah. they've got quality players, and, and you know, you brought up Graham Barton. Pro Football Focus just released their top 50 players in the country. Graham Barton ranked one spot ahead of Benjamin Morse, and I didn't look at it and say, "Well, that's stupid." You know what I mean? Like, kid's a good football player, Ryan, and yeah. I don't know what kind of NFL prospect he is. You could speak better to that, but as far as college football, he's one of the four or five best offensive tackles in college football. Coming back, in my opinion, just for for what he can yeah. do in college. Uh, he's a good football player, man. And, and as you said, when you have a dynamic quarterback and I think Riley mill, Riley Leonard will be that this year, you got a chance to do some really good things. And yep. that's why, you know, I like, that's why I like are they don't need Riley Leonard to just put them on his back and carry them to feats that they're not capable of. They've got more talent than I think the people give them credit for it. A lot of different spots, including on the perimeter. Yeah. So I would say that my Louisville, they're they're, they're going to need time to kind of rebuild that in Jeff Braun's image. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pitt, maybe. If Phil, I'll say this, Ryan. If Phil Kovac is healthy for the entire season and gets back to being what he was in 2020, they might have a shot to be that team. Because they've got some good players. They're going to be good quality on defense, defensive team. They're going to have a tough offensive line, although not overly skilled. I just don't love the skill around him on offense this year. They've lost some kids the last couple of years that I don't know that they've necessarily replaced in my opinion
0: from Archer
2: says which preseason top 10 team is most likely to finish unranked and which ranked team is most likely to finish in the top 10 unranked team
1: which preseason top 10 team is most likely to finish unranked so let's just kind of look at the the coaches poll Ryan since that's the only one we have so far yeah. So it's Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, USC, Penn State, Florida State, Clemson, and Tennessee. Which one of those 10 has the has the best chance of finishing unranked? I'm going to say none of the Big Ten teams right now I view as unranked because none of them, other than Ohio State, none of them play a hard enough schedule to lose enough games to fall out of the top 25 altogether. Would you say that's fair, Ryan? Ohio State does play that kind of schedule, but they're not. They're not going to. No, they're not going to – they're not going to lose all those games. Um, Georgia – Tennessee's you, my
2: pick. Would
1: that be your pick? Is that just yeah. the quarterback and all the personnel losses yeah, I, mean, I could see? There's
2: there's a possibility that the coach works wonders with Joe Milton and he reaches his mm-hmm. potential, or there's a possi- a big possibility that Joe Milton is just Joe Milton. I mean, like, yeah. there's, that comes back to reality. I mean, would, yeah. I, would I be shocked if they go – seven and five or eight and four this year in the sec and it's just like they're not a terrible team but like they're not a top 25 team like it's borderline
1: yeah when you look at their schedule this year ryan you know it's a it's a it's a challenging schedule but not a not a brutal one but it's one where if they stub their toe a couple times you could see them fall out they play Tennessee, virginia on a neutral field they play austin p and then they play at florida i don't think florida's going to beat tennessee but you know still at florida utsa at home south carolina at home texas and at home at bama they could lose that one at kentucky they could lose that one home against uconn at missouri they could lose that one and then georgia at home they could certainly lose that one so i could see if everything just kind of doesn't go their way that that could happen to them i'll say this this there's two teams that i look at ryan one is lsu I do not think LSU is going to finish outside the top 10. But to me, there are a couple injuries in Brian Kelly being Brian Kelly away to where they could have some issues because their schedule is, is, to me, challenging. They play Florida State in Florida week one. Two weeks later, they play at Mississippi State. That's no gimme. They play Arkansas at home. That's no gimme. Yeah. They play at Ole Miss. That's no gimme. At Missouri, home against Auburn, home against Army, at Alabama, Florida at home, Georgia State at home, and the Texas A&M at home. I don't think they're going to fall out of the top 25, but if they have a, a a couple injuries at the right places, they could fall out. And then the other one for me is Clemson. If Cade Klubnick goes down early, that team could have some issues. Is in the, the backup? For,
2: huh? Is Christopher Vizina the main he backup? He might be. There?
1: I honestly don't know. He might be. But he, here's my thing, Ryan. And because they're in the ACC, we saw teams win nine games last year in the ACC and finish unranked because of the lack of respect for the ACC. If you go nine and four in the Big Ten, you're in the top 25. If you go nine and four in the ACC, it's not a given that you're in the top 25. When you look at Clemson's schedule, it's just hard enough. Let's say, let's say, God forbid, and I do not want this to happen because I really am looking forward to watching this kid play this year. Let's say that Cade Klubin it goes down a week two like Tyler Buckner did. Mm -hmm. they play florida atlantic the next week florida state at home that's no gimme at syracuse home against wake forest here's the second half of their schedule without Cade klubnik at miami at nc state notre dame at home georgia tech at home north carolina at home and at south carolina if they lose three four games like and you know in that stretch if without their quarterback they could fall out but for me ryan it would take one of them to fall out. One, it would, yeah. All these top 10 teams it would take injuries with the exception of Tennessee. Cause I think you nailed that. Cause Joe Milton just may be what we think Joe Milton is it's a wild card and yeah. their schedules challenging enough where they could fall out, right. but it would take an injury somewhere else. Like LSU. When I talked about LSU, it would take a cup. It would take Harold Perkins goes down and you know, maybe they lose a, a key offensive lineman or, or neighbors goes down or something like that. Maybe uh, per, perhaps, with a challenging schedule, that could happen. But it would take circumstances. Uh, whereas in past years, there's been teams in the top 10 that had no business being in the top 10. Like A&M last year, I think, it was a preseason top 10. Team. That was just stupid. That would have been an easy one. Because yeah. you and I mocked that last summer. Like, There's no way they're going to finish that high. It's North Carolina, remember, it's a couple of years ago, they were ranked super high, and you're like, they're not going to be a top 10 team. Come on, man. Um, Which unranked team is most likely to finish in the top 10? That's an interesting, interesting. one. That might yeah. be a little bit of a tougher one. Um, let's see here, Ryan. I don't see any unranked big. I, I mean, I don't. You know who? You know who it would be for me if I had to just kind of off the top of my head. There's a couple teams from each conference that I could I could see that being. Um, and to me, the Big Ten. I'm gonna still. I'm gonna stick with this. Iowa. I could see Iowa making a run because their schedule sets up nicely. They're going to be vastly improved at quarterback. They won eight games last year with a, a, an offense that averaged 17 points a game. You know, you know what I mean? Like, And and I've gone through this recently, Ryan. I know they lost two, re, three actually really good football players, but, A, they bring some guys back. But every year Iowa loses some dude that put up crazy numbers and they just replace them with some other guy we've never heard of that puts up crazy numbers. I mean, it happens all the time uh but i think iowa could be that team that could make a run uh, and again being in the big 10 they don't have to be 11 and 2 if they're 10 and 3 in the big 10 they're going to get a lot of respect and be a top 10 caliber team in my opinion so they're they're the team in that league uh that i could see being that and then the sec what, i'm trying to think of some unranked teams like the problem with the sec is everybody's ranked <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. shouldn't be ranked you know what i mean like a ms in the top 25 are you kidding me um acc duke, north man. carolina it's got cool ranked duke. which i saw duke 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 could be an interesting one because they play a good enough schedule yeah. if they can pull off an upset and then beat everybody else they're supposed to be they could be a 10 and 2 top 10 team that has a great win on their schedule and their losses are to good football teams i just don't know if they have enough enough horses to be
2: that good
1: um I don't see anybody else. I mean, I don't see Miami being that team, Ryan. I don't know if you disagree with that. I don't think Miami's got. Oh, I the, think they're
2: gonna be a dumpster fire. Yeah, I don't
1: think they've got that kind of talent. Even if it all gets put together,
2: I think they'll be like slightly improved. They'll be like six and six, they'll yeah, competitive six and six or something. Like,
1: you know, based on experience, on history, here's a here's a team that I could I could see maybe being better than people think, and that's Baylor. Just because we've seen Dave Aranda do this before. We've seen him take a, an unknown team with a lot of veteran players coming off of a down year and be a top 10 team because he's a good football coach. And I think their schedule sets up uh, because the thing about Baylor, Ryan, is they have some early. Ske- they have some games early that they could kind of start getting some some credibility that could jump them way into the rankings, which would keep them in. And if they can pull off a couple upsets, because think about this week, two they play Utah at home. So if they beat Texas State in week one, beat Utah in week two, beat Long Island in week three, they're probably a top 25 team, and then they get Texas at home. They beat Texas, they're jumping way up. Then They, they got play out Long at,
2: Island this year? Yeah, I know. LIU? Oh.
1: Yep, they play at UCF, home against Texas Tech, at Cincinnati, home against Iowa State, home against Houston, at K-State, at TCU, home against West Virginia. Now, I'm not predicting they're going to do it, but that's a schedule where if they can win a couple big home games early and then just – Lose two and go what? What would that make them? Um, so they'd be be six and two down the stretch. That's a top ten caliber team out of the Big Twelve. Then they're unranked. That's why I put put them. Somebody just said Colorado. anything happenin'? I'm
2: st- I'm still stuck on that Baylor's playing Long Island University. Yeah, is pretty crazy
1: sandwich in between Texas. I mean, uh, uh Utah and Texas. So quite an interesting game. Quite an yeah. interesting well game.
2: that that's they're one of the worst FCS teams, so they could literally sleepwalk through yeah. that game and win by forty. So yeah. Yeah.
1: So those are the only teams that I think to me are unranked that that right now I view because here's the thing, Ryan. If if the team was so obviously, oh, that team's gonna be a top ten team, then they'd be at least ranked in the top bottom in of the top twenty five. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but every now and then a Notre Dame from twenty twelve pops up. You know, I mean Notre Dame began that season in twenty twelve unranked and jumped into the top. Ten, right. Notre Dame, seventeen team finished the start of the season unranked. They were close to being a top ten team at the end, but who was predicting twenty twelve Notre Dame to be a top ten team? Honestly, right. like right. among Notre Dame, amongst Notre Dame fans, obviously, TC did TCU start? T, yeah, I think Archer just said Dude, it. They, I don't think TCU was ranked before, last year, so. either right?
0: Yeah, yeah they
2: were banned the year before.
1: But who would have predicted that? That's the thing is, like, to be a top Somebody ten wouldn't. team, I you know, I just don't, I don't see that. I don't see that. Let's get to a couple more here, right? Before we get out of here. Okay.
2: David Lowe said, could y'all ever see more power schools going independent?"
1: Right. I think the only That's way that happens hard. is if, I, I think the only way that happens is if you start seeing two things. Number one is there is some sort of break off of college football teams where they form their own league, so to speak. They're still under the NCAA umbrella, but they form their own league. And essentially, it becomes a fifty to sixty team league where there's a rev share. Uh, that, mm-hmm. And I, but I don't know that the SEC and Big Ten are going to do that. But if they both kind of absorb everybody else, then that's kind of what it turns into. And and you know, but but then again, it, they're not under those deals because here's the deal: right now, per Supreme Court law, conferences basically negotiate their own deals. So there isn't the money out there for schools to get the same dollar amounts if they're independent outside of Notre Dame. I mean, Texas would right. probably be the only other school that could maybe do that, and they haven't been willing to do that. The other thing is, is if some streaming service offers a school like a Texas and Ohio State and Alabama, something like that, we're going to offer you buku bucks to come be an independent and, and you know, bu- and sign you ex- to an exclusive deal that you can't have if you're part of a conference but i mean who is who is that streaming service right so that's my whole thing is i don't know like that would be the only revenue or the only the only avenue but i don't know who mm-hmm. what team that would be and i don't know what you know team would be willing to do that to jump out of a conference you know what i mean Pe- peacock has some money man peacock yeah, i know right but th- that's a great point though ryan but if if that were there that would we would we would have heard that as a potential option for Notre Dame right because they are the independent if there was that that desire for some of these streaming services to say, "Hey, look, instead of paying a billion dollars to a league, we're gonna pay a hundred million dollars to a team right." You know, but, a lot of those um, streaming
2: services lose money too. I, I, like I saw someone put yeah. Netflix. Netflix loses money, guys. Yeah. Like Netflix is not profitable.
1: <laughs> I right. hate to tell you, because and partly because they're doing so much of their own production of movies, that's ex- their their costs have jumped up, and their yeah. their the number of people on Netflix because they had I, I think an artificial COVID boost. You yeah. know, when everybody's locked down and forced into in oh, home sure. stuff like that, yeah. you know, there's this artificial yeah. boost and just watching it was Tiger not, King. Yeah, it was not sustainable. Yeah. It just wasn't sustainable. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's just, I, I don't know, Ryan, I just don't now. Here's like I said, if, if, if there's ever a, if now, if the whole thing comes crumbling and down, then sure, you may see something like that. If we get back to like more of a normal situation, but again, all the independence existed in an era where you couldn't negotiate your own deal. You had, you were just the NCAA, kept all the money and distributed it however they saw fit, you know, and it was kind they of an easy thing. told you what you
2: were doing. Yeah. Right, right, right.
1: Once the Supreme – and I think it was, what, 80, 84, 86, somewhere around there is when that Supreme Court decision was made where schools could – you know, the NCA could not punish – I think it was – they couldn't punish people for selling their own – right, for their own media. And once they did that, conferences started kind of going on on their own. Notre Dame goes and signs their deal – Penn state jumps to the big 10 Miami and Virginia tech and all them jump to the big East. And it's just started the mass exodus of the, of the independence because everybody needed to be part of a league. Cause now the leagues were had all the the money. And so you wanted to be part of South Carolina jumps into the AC or the SEC, Florida state jumps into the mm-hmm. ACC. And that's, you know, once that decision was made, that was the ripple effect and it's led to where we are now. So until there's some sort of con congressional, like that's the other stuff. Like if, there's some you know Congress steps in and starts says something or whatever. I mean, it would take something that is just unforeseen that I can't possibly know right now to ever right. open up paths to other teams being independent again, and that's why I just right now I just don't I don't see it. I, I, or Ryan, they're kicked out. Nobody else wants them, which sure. we've seen that right, like UMass, yeah. right? They were an independent recently because nobody wanted them. You know what I mean? Or UMass. Liberty had to be independent for a couple of years during their transition from FCS to FBS right? But they always knew there was going to be a landing spot. What was it? Sunbelt or Conference USA or something. They yeah. knew they weren't going to be an independent for very long. And, uh, you know, so we'll see stuff like that, But, but not like what I think David's alluding to. Like, we won't see Texas go independent. If Texas was going to go independent, they would have done it already. The fact that they yeah. sold out the Big 12 to go to the SEC was evidence that they just don't think that they can survive on their own. Otherwise, right. they wouldn't have, they would have just stayed in the Big 12 and dominated or they would have done their own thing.
2: Um, UMass is my surprise top 10 team, man. Go you,
1: ahead, man. Are we talking Fresh basketball again? Or?
2: <laughs> oh yeah, they were really good at basketball at one point. Uh from else Siggy Roe, Marcus
1: Camby. Yeah, those teams are yeah, really man. good.
2: From Siggy 13. Didn't Dr. J go to UMass too? He went to UMass, I think, right? Yeah, I think surgeon? so. Yeah. I think yeah. he did. Uh yeah. if there's a college football commissioner job out of all chain wait, let me restart there. If there is a college football commissioner job, out all this change in the future. Okay, it's just written. Out of, of all own. the changes, if if okay, a yeah, commissioner I,
1: comes about, right?
2: Do you think Swarbrick would be a name for the search? A lot of people have said Greg Sankey. I
1: I would hope it would no be idea, Greg no idea. But I, I will say this: I, I know that Jack Swarbrick has had an interest in that type of thing in the past. Would he now at his age? I I don't know would he be somebody that there'd be some people that would be like, Hey, that might be a good guy to do it. Sure. I think that's someone the NCAA would like to have be the college football commissioner, because, you know, I think he's tried to work both sides of this thing of, you know, but now Jack Swarbrick's kind of taking a bit of a, you know, NCAA's kind of dying type of approach. So, you know, maybe he stepped away enough of that for that. Look, I think in some ways Jack Swarbrick would be good in that role. I think in other ways, maybe not name and one of which is his age you know i mean how long would he want to do it not exactly. that greg Sankey's like a spring chicken or anything like that but you know i mean uh, i mean i think he he would be a name i'll say that he would be a name that we would hear for sure would he be the top name that i don't know
2: the name uh, yeah
1: because because you know jack swarbrick's seven 70 years old now but you're 69 70 years old and He's 10 years older than, than Greg Sankey. Right. And this right. is a job that wouldn't be coming up for several more years. So he'd be into his seventies when that job would come open. What will he have been doing? Cause here, I guess this is it, Ryan. What is Jack going to be doing for the next two, three years when he leaves Notre Dame? Is he doing things to position himself for that? Then sure. If he's just kind of retired, then I don't think seem like coming out of retirement to go do that. Yeah. That, that's, that's
2: my, sounds like concerns. a, sounds like a, a tough, battle to take when you are that age no yeah it's
1: just the time if this would happen three four years ago absolutely absolutely like right now jack swarbrick has a lot of had a lot of power but now that he's leaving a lot of that goes away because he's not the notre dame ad anymore someone said he won't be in a lot of these
2: battles yeah that's hilarious uh josh buffo the motivational business banker says what does the safety group have to do this year for us to be an elite defense and to have the position be an attractive recruiting tool for Chris O'Leary and staff in the future? Thank you both. Thank you for the Number
1: question. one, Ryan, do your job consistently. Don't give up big plays. Don't give up big mistakes. Tack- that means tackling more. Sa- I mean, that's the biggest thing the secondary can do is just tackle better, number one. And then start making more plays on the ball, right? We we talked about okay. this in the recent show. Notre Dame's sec- safeties had seven passes defense last year. Not breakups, gotta be disruptive. total passes defense, which means breakups and interceptions combined. Harrison yeah. Smith by himself had 14 in 2010. Right? I mean, the trio of of Jalen Elliott or the duo of Jalen Elliott and Alohi Gilman had like about 21 year, just themselves. Yeah. So you got to make a lot more plays in the football. So I I think what that does for the defense is is obviously turnovers are huge, right, Ryan? And then if the safety start making impact plays, so you look outside and you're like, I got to deal with number five on this side. I got to deal with number 20 on this side. And then now zero is making a bunch of plays of safety. And two is now turned into a pretty good football player. 11's making plays because he's a freak athlete. 13's locking down the slot. It's like, okay, what do I do here? Right. That's, what, that's the impact it would have. So it would have to come down to, when teams challenge you, which Ryan, you and I both know, they're gonna go after the safeties early. Hundred percent. You start making a lot more plays, then all of a sudden your defense forces more turnovers, or even if it's not turnovers, Ryan, like knock down more second and seven passes, right? Or you know make more stops where it's, you know you got a chance to tackle a guy for a one yard gain. Do it. Don't don't lose it. And I think that's one of the biggest values that Tariq Bracy brought last year. He just was so sound on the perimeter as a tackler and you know what do you have like four tackles for loss last year something like like that buck 80 because he just would beat a guy in the perimeter and and blow up a bubble screen so just you got to do your job no big mistakes and then take advantage of others and create some big plays i think if they can do that not only is this defense going to be really really good assuming the others step up too now you have more to sell on the recruiting trail hey man did you see you know, Xavier Watts had 13 passes defense last year. Like he was an impact player. Look at, he did he had 70 tackles and, you know, four picks and seven breakups. And he was a second team, all American. Hey, you know, like, cause like with Kyle Hamilton, you're like, well, of course Kyle Hamilton was an all American. He was a five-star recruit. Like you didn't do it. You, I mean, you recruited, but you didn't develop him. You take a kid like Xavier Watts, right. Who's a former receiver who was a three-star recruit, turn him into an all American. All of a sudden yeah. the kid's like, Oh, okay. This guy can develop now. I sure. think that helps a ton. My opinion, yeah.
2: Ball production is the biggest thing. I, I would agree. Ball disruption and ball production. If if I look at the end of the season and I'm like the numbers were similar or not much better, then that's a big sign of things didn't develop well. Because yeah. to your point, safeties are going to get challenged a lot more than last year. Like a lot more. I think. I think they're going to challenge a ton. Nickel is going to get challenged a ton as well. I mean, they're going to attack the middle of the field a lot this year. And if there's not more ball production, that just tells me that there wasn't probably an impact player on the back end right. other than the corners, which is not good. It's not good.
1: I would agree. Here's an interesting one, Ryan. I don't want to end on this one. So I'm going to bring this one up now and then we got a couple more
2: after that. Okay. Uh, Josh Buff with motivation business banker says, do you ever see urban Meyer making a coaching return to college football? If yes, where would you want him to go? And why? I'm sure he'll come back at some point. I have no yes. idea where he would go, though. There <laughs> is
1: no, no way that if urban Meyer said, I want to coach again, that every school is going to say, no, thanks. Right. Right. No way. If Liberty can soul, hire, right. If it. Liberty can hire Hugh freeze and then get him back to the sec. I mean, urban Meyer, like, cause he was a jerk to kids, you know, to NFL guys and was mean to a kicker. Like, come on. Like I don't like urban Meyer. I can't stand urban Meyer. I think he has no moral fabric to speak of, but They don't care about that. If you can win, you'll get a job. He's older, but he's only 59. It's not like he's like 70, right? He's still in the game because he's part of Fox Sports. If Urban Meyer said, I want to coach again, his agent started getting that out. They wanted to coach again. You know darn well teams would take him. Where would I want him to go and why? I don't. Honestly, Josh, I don't care. I I just, I'm not a big Urban Meyer fan, so I don't have like some, I just know I wouldn't want it to be Notre Dame. That's all I could say with any certainty. I don't I don't want it to be Notre Dame. That's it. It for the sake of the game, it might be fun for him to go to like some smaller school, like you know, like what he did with Utah. Go to some, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of a, you know, I don't know, go to go to Pitt or go to Cincinnati or something like that and stay there and build them up and and you know, something like that, I guess. You know, because he was in, he was a reason I brought up Cincinnati, that's where he played. That's where he graduated from, yeah. you know, like you know, let's say that their current coach doesn't make it and which I I don't think he's gonna be there very long, Ryan. I I yeah. just I don't think he's gonna be there very long. But let's say he bombs out in a couple of years. And let's be real too. If if Urban Meyer kinda of floated to the leadership at Cincinnati, he wanted to get back in coaching and wanted to be at his alma mater, see ya Yeah,
2: Satterfield. <laughs> you know what I mean? Me. See yeah. ya, see
1: ya, Satterfield. Uh you know, but I mean something like that, I guess. If I had to because I don't want to disrespect your question and just not answer it. I mean I'd want to see him go to a school like that and kind of build up a, you know, a, a rebuild a school. Cause I think Cincinnati's going to fall in some hard times the next couple of years being in the Big 12. I really do. Cause they've lost a lot of talent, Ryan, and they're not restocking it with the same kind of kids, in yeah. my opinion.
2: Texas AM and, would be pretty hilarious. Some put in the chat. Oh like, my God. All uh, the recruiting violations that would follow there would be pretty Oh my gosh. There. So, oh my gosh. So,
1: yeah, I just, you know. I'm not a, I'm not a big urban fan, so I don't really care where he goes. But that would be my that would be the best story, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. We had a question from Archer four five two. What's up, Archer? George Pickens put out his top. Oh god, I don't want to talk about this. I saw this top five wide receiver list of all time: Calvin Johnson, Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, Julio Jones, and Michael Crabtree. What kind of dirt does Crabtree have on George? On George Pickens? <laughs> <laughs> i loved michael crabtree at texas tech man one of yes. the best college receivers i have ever seen nfl yes. players absolutely yes. not i mean that's it absolutely was well, the
1: question specified that that it had to be nfl i mean was he including
2: i, I, I think they asked just nfl okay. i could be wrong i could
1: be you wrong. know maybe maybe in his mind he's including um nfl or college as part of that i mean michael crabtree had a couple thousand yard seasons. so if you, you solid put his NFL. He put his college production in there. I can understand why a young kid might think that, but he got two of them right. He got Jerry Rice and Randy Moss. He got those right. I do not think Calvin Johnson is a is a top five all-time receiver. I, I think he could have been if he would have stayed just a little bit longer.
2: Retired early. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um and he didn't retire so you know, he didn't like Barry Sanders retired early, but Barry Sanders still had done some crazy things right i just i don't and of course calvin johnson was hurt ryan also by the fact that he played with the lions for a yeah. number of years you know i mean that that stunted his production a little bit as well but i mean he was in his prime dude i mean he retired at 30 uh, after yep. a year in which he had 88 catches for 1200 yards and nine touchdowns
2: oh no I mean, he can he, still go man he can oh, still yeah.
1: Go. oh yeah oh yeah but um you know top 5 I don't know who my top 5 would be all time but I'm pretty sure Calvin Johnson wouldn't be in it I would have so Randy Moss Owens have... would
2: definitely be in mine who Terrell Owens would be in mine Dude, he was I'd great
1: I he, he was, was, great. was great I'd have to think about that one I don't he had like dismiss that one 155
2: as... touchdowns yeah. like that. That's a well,
1: he was number. very good he played for a while too I I'd, I'd have to think about that cuz it's it's hard to just compare numbers because you know some guys just played in eras where they weren't going to have the same kind of numbers. doesn't mean they weren't as dominant. Like, like and numbers too, like I'm not going to have Steve Largen in mind. Cause he was, a, you know, like he put up numbers, but he wasn't a dominant player for a long period of time. You know? So I don't know who, what my top five would be. I do know that like, I wouldn't have like Michael Irvin in it and he was great, but I don't know that I'd have him in my top five all time. I'd have to really think about that one. Really think about that one. Cause especially lately, Ryan, there's just been so much production out of that position. It's like kind of hard to, Look at it, but Julio Jones has no business being in that conversation. And obviously yeah, neither does Michael. I think Calvin that. Johnson, you could at least make an argument in a similar fashion to a Terrell Davis argument or a Gail series argument, Sandy Koufax argument, where yeah, he retired early. But if you look at his production yeah. at the you know, he was great. He was great. So I could listen to that one. He
2: might be on my list. Like,
1: wouldn't you be sympathetic to that argument? Like, okay, maybe his overall numbers, but if you look at how dominant he was on the teams he played on and, you know, that, you know, you could, I'd just be sympathetic to that argument. I just, you know, I just, I'm not sure. Like where would Tim Brown be in that conversation? That's another one. That'd be an interesting one to kind of think about, but I'd have to really sit down and and think about the eras and the different, the different times. And I'd, I'd give you my five and then you'd, bring up a name that I forgot. I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. You know? So I'd have to think about that one. I have to think about that one, but yeah, I don't know what pictures that George pick that Michael Crabtree has on George Pickens that uh, or or knowledge he's gained that would make uh, him be included on that list. Well, we'll play on that one, Archer, but no, well, here's one for you, Ryan. If you were to talk about top five all time college receivers, and when we talk about all time, it's guys we've seen. Would Michael
2: Crabtree be in that for you? He might be number one of guys I've seen. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, like him, Justin Blackman, Larry Fitzgerald, like that's kind of the short list in my opinion. Like that's really, really good. So
1: Interesting. I, I don't know that I could have him there because he only played two years. Really. But man, but he was, was two years. tremendous in those two years. Bad. <laughs> <Man. laughs> he was tremendous. And, and the thing, too, that he'll have on him is, it is yes, his numbers were inflated by playing in the Texas Tech offense. But we also got to remember, he had some big games and big moments and had some big moments. I mean, the touchdown catch he had against Texas was was huge. And and it came against a great team in a big moment. He was very good. He was very good. I'd have to think about that one too. And that's where stats can get really hard because you're never going to look at a guy like Rocket Ismail and Tim Brown in college and be like, oh, they compare to – you know. this other guy it's hard to do but i didn't i also didn't
2: watch i didn't watch randy moss live in college i've only seen highlights so i don't count him freak
1: the other thing that makes the randy moss debate hard in college is he only played one year at the fbs level yeah and 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 that was in the mac you know you know what i mean like he was phenomenal but I mean, he was he, he didn't have to – we didn't get a chance to see him do it against the Big 12. Now, would he have done it? Sure, probably. I mean, Randy Moss was a freak. But it just – you have to kind of take his numbers somewhat with a grain of salt because, A, he played one year and he did it in the MAC. I mean, 96 touchdowns for 1,820 yards and 26 touchdowns. And he also returned 25 punts for 271 yards. You know, he was pretty good. Here's one thing he couldn't do, Ryan. Right? He couldn't throw. He went 0 for 1. Oh man. He went 0 for 1. So scrub. Yeah, yeah, couldn't throw. Can believe it. Last one. I believe this will be the last one, Ryan.
2: Andrew Gilmore says the Big 12 is now essentially a group of teams who have accepted reality. They aren't going to be great, but happy to be in the conversation.
1: I, I was with you until the last part, right? Because I don't think that they're doing this just to say, hey, we're going to accept our lot as beneath those other programs. I think they're saying is look, we need to find a landing spot. We need to build a conference that has some stability. Yeah. And then from there, you try to grow and you try to compete in different ways. And how can you do that? I mean, you, you know, again, if if I'm the big 12 and I'm thinking about how do you get good, Ryan? It's okay, you got to have some programs that bring some name recognition. Well, the Pac-12 doesn't really have that right? Like, I don't think they do. Like, I don't look at them and say, you know, Colorado is this traditional blue blood program. Like, I don't think there's any blue bloods in their conference. Would you agree with that? Like, once Texas and Oklahoma leave. Yeah, I don't think Utah is a blue blood, Arizona, Arizona State, Baylor, TCU, none of that. So you don't have that. But what you have is you could have a league that's very competitive, that's got some teams that you hope can ascend and and start winning some of those games. You've got to be able to start winning some of these games. But then if you also look at it, they're in some states that are really growing at a very high rate, population-wise, and that has to be taken into account, into account too. What's the population of Texas and Arizona, for example, going to look like in ten years? And and you just got you're you've got a ton of Texas schools in there. You've added Houston. You've got two, the two Arizona schools, and Arizona's a state that's that's growing. Utah's growing. You, you you're hoping that by adding those markets that in 10 years, those markets bring you a lot more value, especially if those programs can be good. So I, I think they've accepted who they are and the, the reality of who they are. And so they took the money that the PAC 12 turned down. And that's why the PAC 12 is dead. And the big 12 is alive and saying, look, we've just got to survive and hope that some of our programs, like you're, you're hoping and praying that Deion Sanders is a, is a home run at Colorado. Because even yeah. if it's for a short period of time, you build up the status of that program. You got to hope that one of the Arizona schools can really take off. You hope that Utah can continue that. I mean, guys, they just added the back-to-back Pac 12 champs to their conference. And the team that just won the conference and played for national championship is still in the conference, right? Like this isn't a bunch of bum teams, right? A team that won the Fiesta Bowl two years ago over Notre Dame is still in the conference. I think those teams just got to get better. Like if Baylor could get back to being what they were under our Brials, that stuff starts to have an impact. And then you got you're in states that are growing and growing and growing population-wise, and that's the best chance you have. It's gonna be hard, but I don't think that they're just gonna they're accepting reality, but I don't think they're they're assuming that I don't think they're just saying, hey, this is who we're always gonna be. I don't think they're relegating themselves to Mountain West status. I think they made a smart deal that locked them into a stable conference for a number of years. And they're hoping that their basketball success combined with growing markets and some potential programs that could be up and coming, that gives them the, enough to where they could maybe you know, start jumping into some of those, those leagues. I think that's kind of where they're at. But they were smart enough to accept the fact that they're not going to negotiate their way into those leagues right now. Take a good deal, a quality deal now, and, and try to do some things to build yourself up. And I think that's what the Big 12 was doing. And I think it was smart, honestly. It was smart.
2: I think the big 12 accepted some like very fun football teams as well. I'm not, I'm not talking about like the Utah's of the world that are coming in. Like the, you know, we'll see what Cincinnati does, but like the Houston's the UCF's like, you're hoping that a couple of those, like that, they, that have been successful group of five schools take a step and you're like, Oh, that was a, that was a deal that we got then. Right. Like we got them early before their trajectory really went up. So I think it'll be a fun conference if nothing else. We'll see. I mean, as far as like, I don't, Andrew, I agree with you because I don't think that they're like, man, we're going to compete with the SEC now. You know, like that's not what's happening right. here. But I think that right. they've added some interesting teams, and I think it's right. a pretty decent balanced conference. And, in my and opinion, now so. you
1: hope that some of those teams can take off. Yeah, like if UCF, to your point, I think the UCF and example is great, Ryan. Is if UCF can have the success in the Big Twelve that they had in the AAC, right? That's going to mean more than when they had it in the AAC. Right. If, if Utah can continue doing what they're doing, you'll say, OK, that that gives you a, a really stable program. But what if Colorado gets back to being what they were back in the day where they were a national title contender? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what you're hoping for. And so you like they took some, you know, we remember we talked about the beginning, right, with the Sean Rogers comment about, you know, low floors versus high ceilings and his wife and stuff. To me, that's what you've done with some of these teams. You've taken some teams that have some ceiling potential. The Arizonas, being an example, because of the way that their state is growing and things like that. Like Houston, you mentioned. You know, Houston used to be a big time program, yeah. and Houston, I, I believe, Houston's got yeah. Heisman Trophy winners in in their background. You know what I mean? Like,
2: Andre
1: yeah, Andre Ware, David Klingler. Klingler put up some. Yeah, yeah, Klingler finished in the top five, I believe, the Heisman Trophy voting. Um, you know that they they've they've had some success. They've won. I'm looking at their record now. They've won 468 games. They have a 547 all-time record. They started playing football in 1946. They've done some good things, played Notre Dame in a Cotton Bowl in a big game They used to be part of the Southwest Conference, which was a power conference. I mean, so they've had their moments, right, where they've been – even recently, Ryan, with um the guy that's at FAU now, Tom Herman. Herman, yeah. You know, they had a couple – I mean, beat Ohio State, didn't they?
2: Right? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. So
1: um, – or was it Ohio State or Oklahoma? Excuse me, they beat Oklahoma, not Ohio State. Oklahoma is who they beat, Houston beat. So, uh, what was it, 2016, I believe? Yeah, they beat Oklahoma in 2016. Remember. That year they went, uh, you know, won nine games and so beat Oklahoma, Baker, May- Baker Mayfield, Oklahoma team that year. You know, so I, I look at it and say, man, the, you know, there's some potential there, there's some ceiling there, and they're they're, taking their, t- they're, they're taking their shot, but at least they're going to survive. That's the big thing. They're going to survive right now. And we'll see how long they survive. But if they're going to survive for 10 years, they're going to have to have some success, right? And that's going to be the key. Because yep. not every team that's popular now was always that way. I mean, Florida State pre-Bobby Bowden wasn't a program anybody was going to be beating down their door to get him in their conference, right? Virginia Tech pre-Frank Frank Beamer wasn't a, a, a program that Power 5 teams would have had any desire to want. I know TV market stuff matter, but if you can have success, you can grow a market. You can grow a brand. And that's what they're hoping that they can do. But it's going to be fun to see what they do. I'm, I'm very curious to see if they got the leadership to kind of go out there and make, uh, make the kind of moves to maybe compete with these leagues over time. We'll see. It'll right. be fun. That's it, Ryan. Why don't you go ahead and take us out of here, man.
2: Appreciate everybody for hopping in the chat today. Thank you all so much for joining the Notre Dame Recruiting Hour here at Irish Breakdown Podcast. Before you leave, you can just hit that like button for us. Subscribe to the podcast. Five-star reviews are always very much appreciated. That little notification bell at the top, we're getting closer and closer, like 19 days away from the season kicking off. So Ivy Nation Sports Talk every day, as well as the Irish Breakdown Podcast every day at 1 o'clock Eastern. Make sure to stay locked. We'll be here very soon to talk to you all, we'll get you ready for the season. So. Like, share, subscribe from Brian. I am Brian. Thank you all again. We appreciate you for joining the Recruiting Hour here on the Irish Breakdown podcast.